Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Yo, give, give me just, or, or, or be with me for a second, and let's just show honor real quick to the worship team. Yo, you guys, man, I just, I, Jeff, Brianna, I think y'all come in on this side, but every Sunday, I just know that we're blessed. We live in what they call the music capital of the world. And so when you come into a place where you're able to experience God through worship, and I'll preach about this, I'm sure, at some point of the year, but I just believe worship breaks down barriers, and I believe that it tills the ground for the Word of God, so I think worship's really important, and so it's important that we give God our best, and I'm just so glad that God's brought us talented people, gifted people that are able to come in here and lead us in worship and uh, be able to get into the presence of God, and so thank you for that. If you're in the crowd and you say, yo, I'd love to worship the Lord with my gifts and my talents, as uh, Malcolm was saying, Growth Track 101 starts today, so you can jump in there and learn about the church and jump on the dream team and start using your gifts and talents to be right up here leading us in worship. Uh, my name is Troy. And me and my wife, Darla, get the great privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us, we just want to say welcome. Thank you for giving us your Sunday morning. Uh, we are in a series, as Malcolm said right now, called Patterns. And it's going to lead us right up to Easter Sunday. Y'all ready for Easter Sunday? They say Easter is like the Super Bowl of the church, is what they say. And um, I, I'm, I'm just convinced that when this series kind of comes to a close on that Sunday, it's going to be a powerful day. You've seen some of our promotions. We're going to have egg hunts and ice cream and something for the kids and then opportunity for us to hang out and fellowship a little bit. But even more than that, I think it's going to propel us as a church into something on April 8th. As we start a new series called Greater Things, we started, as Malcolm said, with that water baptism after service. And I, I'm just, I've talked to some of you guys about this. I just believe God's put this heavy on my heart that he's getting ready to do something greater in not only the church, yes, but in our lives individually, in our marriages, in our jobs and different things. And we're going to walk through the Bible and how God operates that and how he says and, and how we can kind of proclaim that in our lives. Amen, church. Uh, do, me a, do me a favor, open up to the book of Romans, if you've got your Bibles, book of Romans. Today's going to be a little interesting. I'm actually going to use three different verses um, that you may or may not choose to follow along with us. We're going to have them on the screen so you don't necessarily have to thumb through your Bible the whole time. But I'm going to make you go to Romans chapter 15, verse 4, because that's going to be our first verse for the first pattern of this. And so as, as you heard me say, we've been in this series called Patterns, where we've been looking at the patterns that the world gives us and the pattern that Scripture gives us. So the world gives us a pattern to conform to, and God gives us a pattern to transform us. And every week we've talked about patterns that we see in our lives and then looked for the Bible to find those same patterns. Patterns for our thoughts or, or patterns for our anxiety or patterns for our offense. Last week we talked about the pattern of faith. And how the pattern of faith according to the world is to see it, believe it, and wait for it. And the pattern according to God is to hear it, speak it, and do it. And so we're continuing that series. And I want to kind of go a little bit different today. And we're not so much going to look at a pattern that we operate in on a daily basis. But I want to actually look at the pattern of the Bible. I believe there are patterns in God's Word, patterns that if we recognize, we can learn to understand Scripture better, and then we can allow the Word to actually impact our lives like it's supposed to. Me and Darla got to go to North Carolina this past week with Malcolm and Andrea, got to be a part of a conference of a church that I just look up to and believe what God's doing through them. And while we were there, we went to tour the Billy Graham Library. 
I didn't even know it was in North Carolina. We got off the plane, and we're going through baggage claim, and there were all these billboards and things saying, you know, go, go, go. And I looked over at Darla. We literally had just been off the plane. I said, babe, we got to go to this. Like, so I, I jumped on my phone, researched it, found the location. We got our bags, got in the rental car, and drove to the Billy Graham Library. And uh, obviously, it's even more impactful due to the fact that he's just recently passed and so we get there, it's free admission, and we're walking around, and you kind of walk in, and you, you see a replica of the house that he was in with his family, and then you go into the library, and they take you through a tour. It's about an hour and a half long tour, and it starts off with just kind of the history of his life. He was a farm boy, and how he raised, you know, was raised with his, his parents doing this, doing that, and then to his moment of salvation, you learn about his wife, Ruth, and then you go into this whole area about his ministry. And you see things all about his crusades. You see things he did dealing with the Berlin Wall. You see the ministry he had with presidents. You see the ministry he had with, uh, with different nations. You see the ministry he had with celebrities. And I just remember standing there being in complete awe of what God did through this man. It was incredible. And I'm in this one particular room, and there's all kinds of replica, uh, different things. And they have a couple of his Bibles with his notes in it. I'm just trying to read them, you know, trying to get ideas for a sermon, right, just trying to see what he's preaching about. And, and I'm looking at different things. There were letters from Richard Nixon and checks that Richard Nixon had written his ministry and stories about that. And there was just all kinds of incredible, incredible things from different crusades. And I get to this one room, and there's this massive picture of one of the crusades in New York. And there's just people everywhere and I turn over, and there's a video playing, and this, this kind of blew me away. There was another crusade. I can't remember where it was. And he was preaching, and outside they had a screen showing what was going on inside. So the screen was showing him preaching. And there were people standing outside in the rain watching him preach on that screen. And just for a second, I had this thought. Look at the impact of the Word of God. Not the impact of Billy Graham. Don't get me wrong. I honor that man. But the impact of the word of God. You know, the local church, if we're not careful, Christians as well, will overlook the supernatural ability of the word of God. Systems and processes and principles, all of that is so important, okay? You have to have systems. You have to have processes. We got to have growth track because with growth track, you're able to be informed about the church and you're able to get into the dream team. And you got to have the dream team because you're able to use your gifts and your purposes to run production and, and, and watch the kids' ministry and do greeting and run worship. We got to have the dream team. And we got to have small groups because you got to be able to have discipleship and accountability. All the processes and all of the systems are vital. We have have to have them, but we cannot miscommunicate or misunderstand or just miss the transforming power of the Word of God. It's important to our lives. There's a reason why we should be reading it every day. And I want to show you this morning three patterns in Scripture that I think if we will recognize these patterns in the Word of God, it'll be easier for us to study and read the Word of God. Amen, church? LifeWay recently did a study. LifeWay that's here in Nashville, Tennessee, recently did a study, and they said 87% of Americans own a Bible. 87% of Americans own a Bible, and they said 4% regularly read it. Isn't that wild? 87% of people in America own a Bible, which means if there's 100 of us, 87 of us have a Bible. Most of us, it's on a shelf somewhere, it's in a room somewhere. If someone says, where's your Bible? You're like, I know I got one. <laughs> But I just don't, so 87% have it. They, they, they have the Bible. 
but 4% regularly read it. And then I thought this was interesting. 52% of Americans say if they were going to describe the Bible, they would describe it as good morals. Isn't that wild? That that the purpose of the Bible to 52% of America, the purpose of this book is to give them good morals. I thought, wow. If we understood the real patterns of the Bible, I think these things would change. I think 4% read it because we don't understand it and because we don't know how vital it is to our daily walk. And 52% of us think that it's about good morals because we don't understand the pattern of the Bible and therefore we can't understand it. So let's walk through that this morning. Number one is this. The Bible is a pattern for hope. It's a pattern for hope. Romans 15.4 says it like this. This is what Paul says when it comes to Scripture. He says, for everything that was written, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have, let's try that again. We might have hope. Here we go. We're talking back, church. Everything that's been written in the word of God, everything has been written to provide you encouragement so that you might have hope. Everything in this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, even the book of Numbers. You say, I went to school. I hate math. How could I ever get hope from the book of Numbers? Everything written in the Bible was to give you hope. I want to tell you this. I believe that the center of the Bible, the Bible is centered around the concept of hope. And I want to show you. Okay, first of all, let's walk through the Bible. So if you were to kind of break it up, the Bible has been divided into different books, which were then, you know, separated into different sections. And so some of you know this and some of you may not. It's okay. So you got the Old Testament, right? So you got Genesis all the way through Malachi. So that's the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. So Genesis through Malachi. What's interesting is a lot of us think that Genesis happened and then Exodus and then Leviticus and then all the way. So Malachi was the last thing that happened. doesn't really work out that way. There's a certain timeline, for example, uh, the book of Psalm, was, different Psalms were written by David. And so some of those books, some of those Psalms that were written were actually written in a timeline back in 1 Kings or 2 Kings. And so it's interesting how it kind of lines up, but that's the Old Testament, okay? Then you have the New Testament. So your Bible has 66 books and it's split up into two, not evenly, but it's split up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, you got the Gospels all the way into Acts, Romans, and then all the way to Revelation. So it would break down even more than this. So the New Testament has the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. Those are disciples who walked and talked with Jesus, and they pinned later on by the influence of the Holy Spirit. They brought to remembrance those relationships with Jesus, and they wrote those things down. Okay, then you have Acts, right, is the kind of where the church was birthed out of. Then you have Romans, in which we start getting into the letters that Paul wrote. And so letter, Paul was pastoring, he was church planting churches, and then he would write letters back to them. So to give you an example, uh, Ephesians was a letter to the church of Ephesus. Philippians was a letter to the church of Philippi. Galatians was a a letter to the church of Galatia. Timothy, a letter to to Timothy. Different things, all right? And then you get to Revelation, which is the prophetic book of the end times. If you were to ask some of us, how would you describe the books of the Bible? Here's how it would look. The Old Testament is the old books, (laughs) right? It's it's all the old books, all the informational stuff. It's, It's before Jesus came. The Gospels, that's when Jesus got on the ground. Jesus was there, and he, he did a, I don't really know about the rest of it. The rest of it's kind of encouragement. And then this one down here, Revelation, that's the scary book. That's kind of how we would break up Scripture. That's how we would define it. But when we don't understand patterns of Scripture, it's hard for us to really study it. Let me show you and prove to you that 
the Bible is centered around the concept of hope, okay? Right off the bat, the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, every book in the Old Testament, if you break it down, it is centered around the anticipation of Jesus Christ. Every book in the Old Testament deals with either A, we need a Savior, or B, there's a Savior coming. There's constant uh, prophecies back and forth through different prophets through God. The entire Old Testament is centered around the anticipation of Jesus Christ the Savior. Okay? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are centered around the manifestation of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament is, he is coming. The Gospels are, he is here. He's coming, he's here. The book of Acts is centered around the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Go tell the world he's here. Old Testament, he's coming. New Testament, or, or Gospels, he's here. Acts, Go tell everybody he's here, okay? Romans to Jude is about the explanation. What does Jesus Christ expect of us as his followers, and how do we walk it out? And then the book of Revelation is about the consummation of Jesus Christ. What will happen from the beginning of Jesus to the end and, his, and the fact that we have a soon coming king. So it's the anticipation, the manifestation, the proclamation, the expectation, and the consummation. The entire Bible from Genesis to uh, Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, every bit of the Bible is centered around Jesus. And Jesus is hope. When you read the Old Testament, you should be seeing an anticipation for a Savior. When you read the New Testament, you should be seeing either the manifestation of Jesus or the proclamation of Jesus or the explanation of Jesus or the consummation of Jesus. Every time you open this book, you should see Jesus. Every time. Well, when I open it, I see judgment. You're reading it wrong. Well, when I open it, I see condemnation. You're reading it wrong. Because when you understand the pattern of it, when you understand that the center of the Bible, I think the Bible is centered around judgment. Well, I can understand that. There's like 40 verses about judging. But saying that God is centered around judgment is like saying your parents are centered around rules. It's not really accurate. The Bible is centered around Jesus. I used to think the Gospels were centered around Jesus. I get it because that's where the letters turn red. You know what I mean? That's when all of a sudden Jesus starts talking. And so I'm like, all right, Jesus entered, so this is now about Jesus. And because I thought that was about Jesus, I put no value to the Old Testament. That and the stories were a little crazier. <laughs> but when I started to understand that every book of the Bible, every verse of the Bible, in some shape, form, or fashion, points back to Jesus, then I quit fearing reading certain things because I started reading things looking for Jesus. The Bible, the pattern of the Bible is hope. Don't you want hope? If I called you tomorrow morning, woke you up out of bed, and said, hey, real quick, jump online on YouTube. There's a video that's going to give you hope. You'd be like, you'd be putting on your little slippers and everything. You wouldn't even brush your teeth. You'd be headed straight to the computer to watch YouTube because you want hope. Because we're going to wake up to problems and issues and struggles. Last night we were setting up church and we found out that one of our team members' little kid fell and busted his head wide open. Stuff happens. Stuff's going to happen tomorrow. To some of you, it's going to happen Thursday. 
And I would love to know that every day I could go somewhere and read about hope in my situation. I can. Because there's a pattern of hope in our word, in his word. Number two, the pattern of salvation. So first, there's the pattern of hope. Then there's the pattern of salvation. You say, well, those are kind of the same thing. Yes, but let me explain. Recently, how many of y'all are familiar with Disney Pixar? Anybody familiar with Disney Pixar? You've seen a movie or two that they made? They got a couple ones out there. Um, they recently sent out an email, or not an I'm sorry, an email. They recently put out a, a, a document, I guess you'd say, kind of showing how they form their movies, okay? So they revealed that they have what they call a story spine, a story spine. And so this story spine, anytime they have a thought, so if they're sitting around the table and they think, hey, we should make a movie about toys that come to life, or we should make a movie about cars that talk, or we should make a movie about bugs. I don't know what Disney Pixar movies are, but y'all are going with me. We should make a movie about emotions and, and how they talk to each other. Whenever they have a thought, we should make a movie about fleas. That's the next one. Wait for it. You'll see it. No matter what the idea is, they take the idea and they run it through the story spine, okay? Let me show you the story spine. This, this is the story spine. Once upon a time, there was blank, every day, blank, one day, blank, because of that, blank, because of that, blank, until finally, blank. So anytime they have a thought, they take that thought, and if they can fill in the blanks to this, they have a movie. Once they fill in the blanks, they go, boom, we got a movie, and they start putting meat on the skeleton. I'm going to show you an example. We'll take everybody's, you know, we know God's favorite movie, Toy Story. We'll take that movie, and we'll put it on here, and we'll kind of give you an example. Once upon a time, there was a toy named Woody. Every day, he played with his boy Andy. This is my version of this, so this isn't Pixar's, but one day, Andy got a new toy named Buzz. Y'all remember this movie? Because of that... Andy didn't get played with anymore. Because of that, he had to come up with a plan to get Buzz gone until finally Woody learned that they could coexist. When they build the story spine, they all of a sudden have a movie. You, if, if you don't, you know, I, mean, I don't know if you go home and actually like, you know, think about the sermon and process it and go to lunch and talk through it. But it, let's just say you do. T take this story spine and just go pick a Disney Pixar movie and see if you can fill in the blanks. Just see the process. It's funny how it's crazy. It's wild how it works. The Bible has a story spine. The Bible has a story spine. When you look through Scripture, you can find a pattern that God put there for a reason. And I want to show you the pattern, and then I want to show you the reason. Here's the pattern. The pattern is sin servitude, supplication, salvation. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. What does that mean? Sin, God gives man a command and man rebels. Sin. Due to man's rebelling, man ends up in bondage, uh, servitude. Now that man's in bondage, man cries out for help, supplication. God hears man's cry, salvation. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. We mess up. We end up paying the consequences for our mess up. We cry out for help. 
God saves us. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. You can see this pattern all throughout the book of Judges. All throughout the book of Judges, you see this over and over and over and over and over again. You see it with the Israelites. When they go through the process, it's over and over. You can find New Testament characters and see the same process. We did live by this today. Would you agree? This is what we deal with. I mess up. Because I messed up, I got consequences. Because of my consequences, I'm upset, so I ask God to help me, and then God helps me. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, mess up. I'm in trouble because of my mess up. I cry out because of my mess up. God helps me. Am I the only one that lives in this routine? Am I the only one that can say this pattern seems to be real familiar to me? This looks real familiar to the way I operate in life. What's, the problem is this, is when we start to say this, God saved me once, I don't want him to have to do it again. And so what do we do? We walk away from God. We walk away from the word of God. We walk away from church. We walk away from Christianity because we see a cycle that no matter what we do, we can't get out of. So God put it in his scripture as a story spine to tell you this has been going on since day one. Why do you think you have the ability to stop it? You don't. I did it then. I do it now. I'll do it then. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God rescuing you from your yesterday consequences, your today consequences, and your forever consequences, okay? He is always prepared to save us from our supplication. The problem is when we start reading scripture and hoping that there's some system by which we won't need God. God put me in a place where I'm so holy I no longer need you. God puts us in a place of pruning so that we're always on our knees, always needing him. You say, but Troy, listen, the reason why I don't like what you're saying is because if we think about it like that, we'll start using grace as a crutch. That's not true. Paul said it like this. Because we're forgiven for anything, should we just go on taking advantage of God? No, because here's what we know about us. The more God rescues us, the more we fall in love with God. And the more we don't want to be back in that place. So the more we read his Bible and the more we pray and the more he helps us. I heard somebody say this one time. I'll never forget this. I was young. I was in the youth ministry my youth pastors at the time had had a child out of wedlock. And I think y'all know this. Sometimes churches can get really weird people in them, right? Look at the person beside you and say, you're not that person. Okay, they're not that person. Look at the other person beside you and say, you are. And I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, sometimes you can get weird people in church. And so my, pastor, my youth pastor's wife at the time, she's up and she's preaching about, you know, uh, saving yourself till marriage and all these kind of things. And this young man goes up to her after the service. He had to be 15, 16 years old. She's a 30, I don't know what she was, mid-30s. He walks up to her, looks her in the eye, and he says, what makes you think you have the right to tell us to do that when you didn't do it? I said, ooh, I'm glad you didn't ask me that. You'd have had the, I would have touched, you know, laid hands on you in a Pentecostal way. Um, and so here's what she said, and, and I'll never forget this. She said, here's the way I look at it. I was walking down the road, and I fell in a hole. And now it's my job to hold a sign and to walk back and forth in front of that hole announcing 
Watch out for the hole. Well, that was incredible. And here's what I think God likes to do. I'll put this cycle in Scripture so that you'll see it in hopes that as you read Scripture, you'll learn how to, you will learn how to avoid it. So don't see the cycle as a reason to become, to become condemned and walk away from God, but see the cycle as a way of pruning us and educating us so that we learn to not fall in it again, to read the word even more. Let me, let me put it like this. When most of us hear the word sin, we immediately go to how bad we are. It's like a horrible thing. It's this, it's that. The definition of sin is to miss the mark. So here's what that means to me. Is sometimes I can be trying really hard, trying, trying really hard, and just miss the mark. Sometimes sin is not me deliberately wanting to disobey God. Sometimes sin is me trying and missing the mark. And so I'm happy to know that when I miss the mark and I have to face the consequences for missing the mark, that God hears my cry and God saves me. I thought it'd be fun to take Disney Pixar's little story spine and put the gospel in it. Let me show you this. I thought it was pretty funny. Once upon a time, there was a man or a woman. Every day, he or she walked with God. Till one day, he or she rebelled against God, rebelled against God. Because of that, we were in bondage. Because of that, we cried out until finally we were saved. What if Disney Pixar took that story spine from the Bible all to begin with? What if the pattern of Scripture is hope for your hopelessness and salvation for your sin? What if God put these patterns throughout Scripture not to judge or condemn you, but to show you no matter where you look in the Bible, no matter who you are, there's a, there's a capability of you sinning, falling into bondage, crying out, and every time, God will save. I want to show you a, a quote from Billy Graham that I saw in the library that, again, just reminds me of the hope that Billy Graham gives us, or, or I'm sorry, the hope that Billy Graham would speak of in the Bible. I know I skipped that quote earlier, but look at this. My message has always been the gospel of Christ. It's not a Western religion, nor is it a message of one culture or political system. It is a message of life and hope for all of the world. The Bible has a pattern of hope and life. Hope and life. Jesus, watch this, and his resurrection. I thought about saving this for Easter because that's, you know, legally the only time we talk about the resurrection. But I thought this was interesting because Jesus coming and dying brought us hope because he died for our sins. But the resurrection is what brought us life because the re resurrection proves that though we've messed up, we can have new life in Christ. So when you read the Bible, don't just think it's about Christ's sacrifice. 
Because it is. But it's about his resurrection. There's a pattern of hope and life. Hope and life. When I sit down to read it, that's not what I see. I see you're looking at the wrong pattern. The world would tell us it's about judgment, it's about this, it's about that, it's about, it's about irrelevant information, it's about old men in their life. And God would tell us it's about hope and life. Hope and life. Lastly, the pattern of power. Power. Say, oh, you're going to get weird now. It, is it possible, church, that, that this thing right here could have power? Hebrews 4.12 puts it like this. I, th- I thought it was interesting. Um, For the word of God is alive and active. It's alive. It doesn't have feet, but it's alive and it's active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Wow! Right? It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. You say, whoa, whoa, are you a doctor now? Are you like McDreamy? Where are we going with this? No, no. That's like church words for saying it'll get all up in your business. Okay? That's what that means. It'll penetrate your business. You ever heard scripture and go, it's talking right to me. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, let me, let me let you know a little preacher secret. When you come to church, and I hope this happens here, when you come to church and you go, oh man, it's like Pastor Troy was preaching right to me. I don't have a gift. It's nothing to do with me. I'm preaching a live and active word of God. It ain't the vessel. It's the oil. You see what I'm saying? It's the word of God that knows how to go right and penetrate and cut where you are. I'm just simply the mailman delivering the mail. The word of God is alive and it's active. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Power of God. I started thinking about this. I'm standing in this Billy Graham library and I'm looking at this picture of this crusade. You got to see this, all right? Talking about a man preaching the gospel. Look at that. Look at the people. Everywhere I turned, there were different pictures of different crusades. Hundreds and thousands of people. People standing out in the rain and this and that. People were there in the library. Going through an hour and a half tour. I said, man, there's power in the word of God. I couldn't shake that. And I said, I got to go home and I got to tell the church there's power in the word of God. And I said, but you know what? I can get up and I can say Hebrews 4.12. Most people in the room will go, how do you prove power in a book? By reading the book. Don't make much sense, Troy. And so I started thinking. And the Lord started bringing stuff to memory. And all of a sudden, I remembered one Wednesday night, I was preaching in our youth group in Memphis. It was called Fusion. And we did kind of an altar, altar call prayer time. And these two young kids walked down. They walked over to our little stage area. And I was like, what are they doing? Anytime, you know, you got to be worried sometimes. You know, youngins say crazy. They walked away. And I looked over and they had laid the drugs that they had on them. They had laid them on the stage. I went and looked at my notes. I said, I don't think there was ever a moment where I said, if you have drugs, bring them down here, please. When did that happen? How did they hear whatever I was preaching and get that? I said, man, there's power in the Word of God. I thought it was interesting when a mentor figure in my life told me about a time he was preaching and a man in the back came down and put a gun on the stage. 
He said that man told him afterwards, I was sent here to shoot you. Wow. Power of the Lord. Power of the word. I got a friend who pretty much risked his life every year twice going to a different country to sneak Bibles in. Tell you the last time I snuck something somewhere. You ever go into the movies? And all of a sudden, a bag of M&Ms are like $12. So you go to Walgreens because now they have those little boxes. You know what I'm talking about? They call them candy. They call them movie candy. The world is setting us up to sin. And so I got to buy that. And obviously, we got to put it in the purse. Listen, I want y'all to get my wife working in kids today. I want you to tell you this. She once snuck a sonic blast into a movie in her purse. That's your pastors. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, right? Sorry, Lord. Why would we have to sneak Bibles somewhere? It must be more than a book. There must be some power in it somewhere if I got to sneak it into countries. Then I started thinking about me. I can't remember if I told y'all this story before, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to bust him out. There was a young man one time in my youth service back in Memphis. Here's the only uh, memory I have of him pre of this moment is that once he wore a KFC bucket upside down on his head. Don't really know what that was about. Came into service one night, high as a kite. And the way he'll tell it, is that at some point when the scripture was being preached, he sobered up like that. Ended up giving his life to the Lord, ended up going into ministry school, ended up leading worship and doing youth ministries at different churches, and then he resigned from that position and helped us come plant this church. And he's the guy that plays the drums every Sunday. The really tall guy. There must be power in this book. It must be alive and active. There must be something about those words. Because here's what I know, that in Matthew, Jesus gets baptized for his ministry, and then he goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says that Satan comes and tempts him. And every time Satan tempts him, here's what was interesting to me. Jesus could have grabbed him by his throat and put him up against a tree and hit him over the head with a coconut. You know what I mean? Like, I I am Jesus. He could have called down all these angels to come and take him away. You know what his defense was? His defense was the word of God. His weapon was the word of God. Scripture says that we put on the armor of God daily. Do you know what the weapon is? The Bible. The weapon is the Bible. There's not another book you can quote and rebuke Satan. You can't quote Shakespeare and make demons shudder. You can't get John Grisham books and start reading chapter after chapter and watch Satan run out the door. You can't even quote Harry Potter. But if you quote the Bible, demons shake and Satan has to flee because there's power in the Word of God. Why would we ever allow it to just sit on the table? Why would we own it and not read it? Why would we think it's this and not that? Why wouldn't we open it and say, God, I need power from your scripture. I need power from your scripture. Here's what's interesting. Oh, man. Lord, give me this. Satan knew he couldn't defeat us. Am I right? So what did he do? 
He took away our weapon. Here's the crazier part. He didn't physically take it away. He just taught us how to leave it on the shelf. And every day we face these seasons of our lives and we struggle and we want hope and we want help and we want direction. We want information and we want confirmation and affirmation. God, I wanna know how to parent my children. I wanna know how to parent my children because they're so precious. And sometimes I think they're demon possessed. God, I want to know how to, how to be able to be a good husband. Because majority of my life, I was worried about me. And now you got to tell me to worry about somebody else. I need to know how to be a good husband. I need to know how to be a good wife. God, I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to be a disciple. I want to know how to speak. I want to be a prophet to this generation. I want to know your word, and I want to be able to speak your word to my situation. Because I know that in the beginning you spoke things into creation. So there must be something about my voice. But we've said this before. If your voice is just speaking things of this world, you sacrifice your power. But when your voice is teamed up with the word of God, things must change and things must move. Tell you one last thing. I was reading back over the verses where Jesus is in the wilderness, and all of a sudden it hit me. Satan is quoting the word as well. Huh. So the weapon you gave me he already knows that's weird how come Satan knows how to use his sword better than I do and then the Holy Spirit told me this there's another pattern you forgot about Troy in the series that's a voice pattern I'll say I just, all right. Y'all, uh, what was that? I think it was, y'all, y'all watch Mission Impossible? Anybody here watch Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise? Please don't judge me after this. Um, there was a, I think it was that movie. Maybe it wasn't even that movie. But there was a movie where this guy had a gun designed where it matched up with his fingerprints. So if you tried to pick up the gun and shoot it and your fingerprints, it wouldn't shoot. So it had to be that instrument with, that identity. See what I mean? You have that instrument, that identity, and when you put those things together, boom. I said, God, you got, you got the word of God. He's speaking it, and there's no power. What happened? And I just felt the Lord confirm this in me. You've got the instrument, but he doesn't have the identity. We were created. We were created in the pattern of God. And when we were given that same pattern, we were given that identity. And when our identity is lined up with that power, things have to change. So it doesn't matter 
all that matters is when your voice starts to speak the word of God because the word of God has power. We gotta quit fearing this. We gotta quit letting it hold up tables and be bookends and understand that it's hope for our hopelessness, that it's salvation for our sin and that it's power for our problems. Realize that in everything about it comes Jesus Christ. Realize that sin, servitude, supplication, salvation is that story spine that God put on purpose to affirm us that he'll save us when we miss the mark. And once we have both of those in our mind, then we can say, all right, now I've got a sword. It's not defensive, it's offensive. Now I've got a weapon to fight with because it's power. There's one other quote from Billy Graham right as you're getting ready to leave from the library. And whoo boy. I am convinced that the greatest act of love that we can ever perform for people is to tell them about God's love for them in Christ. Easter's coming up. The greatest thing you can ever do for anybody is to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. This church is growing because we make sure that there's no name above any other name and that every day we will call upon the Lord and we will look into his scripture and most of all that it's all built on the name of Jesus. We will never apologize for preaching Jesus Christ. We will never apologize for being a place that's focused on the unchurched and the dechurched and the lost. The reason why God sends uh, solid, strong Christians like you is because he needs an army to be able to go after the lost. We don't apologize for preaching Jesus because it's the greatest act of love. I've used, I love this, I've used from 25 to 100 passages of scripture with every sermon. And then here it is. And I've learned that modern man will surrender to the impact of the word of God. Modern man will surrender to the impact of the word of God. It's hope, it's salvation, it's power. I believe God's calling us church to greater faith, but most of all, to a greater understanding of the word of God. Start thinking now. Go home this afternoon, find your Bible, set it on the table, put your coffee cup beside it because you know you're going to go to coffee. Matter of fact, put it on the coffee maker like this to where you know you're going to see it. Put it in the bathroom. Put wherever you go first thing in the morning so that you can open up and read a word. Just start with a proverb. Some of you, you're seasoned. Go get how to, how to read the Bible in one year. Just read the Bible. Because the word of God is alive and it's active and it's your weapon for tomorrow. How foolish would it be if I told all of you, hey, right now we're going to go have another dream team party. This is another reason why you want to get on the dream team. We had a dream team party last Sunday night. Dream team, where are you remember that? We bowled. We had our bowl on. We were getting crazy, right? Imagine if I said we're going to do a paintball fight. Paintball fight, right? We're going to get your paintball guns. We're going to fight. And then you showed up without a gun. We'd look at you like you were crazy. Why would we ever show up anywhere 
without our weapon. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, for your word, for your faithfulness. I thank you that you gave us patterns in Scripture. I thank you to know that everything in this book points back to Jesus. And Jesus is my hope. I thank you for the story spine that you gave us. Because I know that no matter how hard I try, I'm going to miss the mark again. I may miss the mark today. I may miss the mark next week. And I'm going to experience consequences from those marks. And then I'm going to cry out. And God, you'll be there to save me. Because your word says you are God of salvation. And then I know that there's power in this word. So I pray right now for a burden on every one of our hearts to read our Bibles, to study more, to read more, to expect more, to look for more. Whatever that might look like in our life and in our season, let this be a challenge. Lord, I know we're not starting greater things for a couple weeks, but I think you're already starting that seed now. Because if we can put into place a principle of reading your word, every problem we have will be fixed. Because the patterns to fix all of those are in your word. So thank you for your word. Would you just do me a favor right now, just in your own way, would you just thank God for his word? Would you thank him for the Bible? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for putting that into a place where we can read it, where we can have our lives impacted by it. Thank you for speaking it into our lives. Help us to memorize it. Help us to use it. Help us to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray.